0: South Africa's vaccine rollout continues to be plagued by poor administration and execution. My mom registered on the EVDS system four weeks ago and is still awaiting her SMS. And while the number of vaccinations has been rising slowly, it's far below the number of vaccine doses in the country at a time when the number of new reported cases is rising rapidly again. Nicholas Crisp, Deputy Director General in the National Department of Health, argues that it's not so simple. And that's the point, really, because it should be. This in a week where US President Joe Biden ordered the US intelligence community to redouble their efforts to determine how the pandemic started, including probing whether the pathogen emerged from a lab accident in the Chinese city of Wuhan, really fueling conspiracies in certain quarters that question much of the established science as we look to be considering potential lockdowns again. Treasury has also introduced a discussion paper on zero-based budgeting this week, while S&P provided its latest uh, assessment and energy policy remains as contested as ever as we look to provide the foundations for growth mired in political and regulatory constraints. Well, to put this into perspective, I'm joined now by Warwick Lucas, Chief Investment Officer at Galileo Asset Managers, Raymond Parsons, Professor in the School of Business and Governance at Northwest University, and Isa Mflanga, Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes. Uh, Warwick, despite the bumbling of the vaccine rollout, chatting to Afrimat CEO Andries van Heerden this week, He really echoes what the Raulbeck's management team are saying about a strong rebound in construction. Uh, Retailers also rallied hard this week. In fact, it looks like uh, SA Inc. is in better nick than many have uh, anticipated.
1: I guess it's uh, following a traditional uh, rebound uh, trajectory of any pandemic, namely that um, demand that uh, was pent up and not serviced uh, during the time of immobility uh, is now coming back onto the table, and it helps refire a start, which is obviously fortuitous, since a, a traditional uh, economic recovery would require some kind of uh, government intervention, uh, Keynesian stimulus, whatever, a real big push uh, to get it going, whereas here actually the a big part of the push is actually coming directly out of the pockets of consumers who've survived better than, than perhaps uh, some others, but they're playing their part now by, um, by by spending and getting things going again. So that's great. I, I, mm. I, I'm pretty happy with how that's um,
0: rolling out. Isa, from that perspective looking at the, the health of the South African economy right now, um, are, are you surprised by the strength of the consumer? I know many in the market had uh, anticipated that once the TERS and, and, and other government interventions were slowly withdrawn, that we might reveal uh, a much weaker South African consumer. That hasn't come through in the numbers and we saw it from Mr. Price, we saw it from Lewis uh, and Pepco as well. Uh, the South African consumer seems to be fairly robust.
2: Uh, absolutely and I think it's not just a uh, South African uh, development only. We see it globally. The forced savings that took place during the high, at the height of the pandemic in 2020, uh, those savings are being uh, spent. But from where we are going forward, we would expect some moderation in those spending as the savings deplete. But I think it's, it's something that we see across a number of sectors as well. If you look at the uh, first quarter numbers on manufacturing, mining, wholesaleaw uh, sales, uh, retail sales across the board numbers have come in much better than expected. historically, first quarter numbers of the economy they show a contraction uh, which is a seasonal uh, you know a phenomenon. but for this year, we are going to see a positive growth in the first quarter because uh, of of those uh, you know the, the, the recovery that we are seeing from the pandemic uh, recession that we saw last year that recovery continues to to take place. confidence is building up. Um, And I'm I'm much more positive now than I was two months ago uh, on the economy. And we have seen a number of forecasters revising uh, their forecast upwards, which is across the board globally and and locally.
0: Raymond, are you sharpening your pencil against this backdrop as well uh, amongst those forecasters who might be revising their growth upward? Or is it still a case of let's wait and see regarding the vaccine rollout, whether or not uh, we can actually reach that level of herd immunity by the end of the year?
1: Hi, Michael, look, I think uh, what has
3: been said so far is something that's shared by by most economists that uh, our growth rate this year uh, is probably going to be 4% or even more, and it is a rebound. We keep emphasising that, and I think that's important. I'm inclined to repeat what I've said before, let's not take our eye off the ball for next year and the year after. I'm less worried about this year. I think there's enough momentum that even with the third wave and what we might do about it, might only make a small dent on on this momentum. So I'm taking this year for granted and that we shouldn't spend too much time wringing our hands about the latest high frequency numbers. They're looking good and that's a good rebound uh, from what we went through last year. So I think the important point now, and we no doubt will also talk about it in one or two of our subsequent aspects today and that is we need to ensure that we roll out the infrastructure already there are some some positive signs uh, but we need evidence that's going to happen we need to see that our fiscal sustainability is under control you haven't referred to the fact the Reserve Bank produced its financial stability review this week which has some key messages I advise uh, everyone to look at it I would certainly urge the Minister of Finance to inflict it on all these Cabinet colleagues. There are some important messages there about fiscal management as part of our sustained growth outlook next year and the year after. So what we want to do now is to manage the economy, manage the better news in such a way that we translate what is happening this year positively into sustained Mm. job-rich growth Mm. in the next few years Mm. that challenge is the challenge that we really face Mm. I don't think we must worry too much About our economic performance this year, Mm, it's
0: in in the back. It is a snowball effect, though, and one hopes that, you know, to your point, once the snowball gathers momentum through the course of this year, that it continues to roll into subsequent years, and we can build on uh, that momentum and sustain it. Comments from the finance minister this week that policy uncertainty around uh, expropriation without compensation, for example, harm our economic growth prospects uh, are obvious. But uh, it's welcome to hear him talking about that so that hopefully we can get some resolution and draw a line under that particular uh, issue. Warwick, against that backdrop, we've also seen the RAND extremely strong. It's uh, been under 14 for most of the week. Is this sustainable? I mean, would you be using this uh, bout of RAND strength to uh, maybe uh, buy some dollars uh, and move some uh, money offshore? Or, Or do you think the RAND can get stronger from here?
1: Michael, currencies tend to have a lot of momentum, both on the upside and on the downside. And they can go from weak to strong and back again in much longer cycles than most people expect. Now, one of the drivers that is helping the RAND is obviously that the commodity cycle has gone Uh, reasonably positively um, South Africa's way uh, notwithstanding um, huffing and puffing from China about commodities there's really nothing they can uh, realistically do about it because it's a whole supply-demand scenario the other issue of course is what is the dollar doing and the dollar itself has been uh, on a weakening cycle and will probably continue to be on a weakening cycle unless there is some kind of development to the effect that in fact the inflation there is indeed transitory uh, because at the end of the day deflating currencies are strong currencies so if indeed the inflation there is going to prove transitory we'll probably find that the dollar sort of levels off um, somewhat nevertheless the dollar itself has been on a very long uh, strike uh, cycle of excessive strength in the last 10 years and it probably was due for a turn uh, for the weaker and now for some time anyway
0: either when you look at the rand currently and i know a strong link here to commodity prices And uh, this week we've we've really seen uh, commodity prices uh, come off the boil um, to retrace uh, some of the the big gains that we've seen so far this year and much of it on the back of what's happening in China you know China pointing to the effect of rising commodity prices uh, and certainly rattling the sabre there around uh, high commodity prices Morgan Stanley economist Robin uh, Shing warning that commodity prices are disconnecting from fundamentals there's some downside risks there Uh, how do you view all of this factoring into the RAN?
2: I think if you just look from a commodity price point of view, US growth has been revised upwards, much closer to 7%. China is growing quite significantly. India also expected to grow quite significantly. Those three economies can drive commodity price up and that's what we are seeing in the markets. But if you look in terms of what the World Bank, for instance, focus for commodities, For this year, almost every other commodity except for gold is up. But for next year, almost every other commodity is down except for platinum, which means the commodity price uh, uh, increase that we see, it's not a boom, it's a cyclical boom, which means it's not going to be sustained beyond this year. Hence, we are seeing strong run this year. We don't expect that to be. Uh, extended into next year, if we just take the combination of commodity prices, GDP per capita in relative terms to the US, and where the US dollar is um, a fair value, it's somewhere at about 14 to the dollar. And historically, we have seen the rand move in ranges of 250 on either side of fair value, except for 2020. Where we saw the run move from 14 to 19 and back to 14, so a five-run range. As we move out of the COVID-inspired recession, we are going to start to see the run move in the typical ranges that it has, you know, exhibited historically—a two-run 50 on either side. So, from fair value of 14, I will not be surprised to see 11.50 to 12 to a dollar over the short term. Uh, but obviously this is not going to be sustained on a a much longer period of time. Medium-term, we still have issues with our fiscal sustainability. Something that helps currently is the fact that we don't have the usual twin deficits of the fiscal deficit and the current account deficit. The current account balance is in surplus, which reduces the funding requirements that help the the currency to be much more stronger. As we move forward Mm -hmm. and as the economy recovers, the import bill is going to grow and as a result the current account balance is going to turn again into deficit and let's hope it's not doing so at the same time when the U.S. Fed starts to discuss the potential for reducing its bond purchase program and ultimately raising interest rates because we will be penalized more because our fiscal deficit Mm. still remains quite large relative to other emerging markets.
0: Very good point that and we'll be back in that uh, so-called Fragile 5 bucket that we were in when uh, the taper tantrum happened around 2013 and uh, we we saw what happened uh, back then. Raymond, uh, we've uh, now had one official and one unofficial rating agency comment with uh, S&P. Uh, giving uh, uh, us an unchanged outlook at the the present junk status level. Uh, What did you mainly take away from the decision and the narrative that S&P is painting around South Africa to build on those comments that Isa was making about our fiscal sustainability?
3: Yes, indeed, because I think what he said reinforces what I said earlier. As time moves on, we need to ensure that we have certain domestic things in place so that we can sustain our economic performance whatever terms they may be in the world economy in the next year or so but this in a sense i think comes through for from what the rating agencies were saying i liked the positive message in the sense that we need to boost our economic mood to make more things possible and i think that's that's important i think it's giving us more time once again it feeds in with what we've said so far it gives us more time to show that we're implementing what we've committed ourselves to uh, mining and agriculture have made a major contribution this year, but we need to sustain that upturn, as I said earlier, so that our, our fiscal position will gradually begin to, in fact, look better. Uh, and then finally, I think they still, however, said we're not out of the woods yet. Their, their converging message was there's still considerable debt stabilization risks and I refer again to the to review by the by Reserve Bank this week, which actually reinforces that view and, in fact, sends a very strong message that our economic performance in the years ahead will depend on us getting our fiscal sustainability sorted out. So I think from that point of view, we have been given the necessary message in a way you could call it an inflection point which we need to mm-hmm. capitalize on. Mm. because they'll be back in six months time to look at what we've done with, with the vaccine rollout, with our infrastructural spending, and also with this, uh, the outcome of the negotiations on the public sector wage bill. So those are still out there which we need to translate into definitive and indeed tangible economic outcomes, but I'm pleased that we've been given this time and we must use it wisely.
0: President Cyril Ramaphosa will address the nation on the growing number of COVID-19 cases in the country as well as the measures that government is now going to put in place to curb the spread. That, uh, according to Acting Minister in the Presidency Kombudzo Inchaveni, in a post-cabinet briefing uh, yesterday. Inchaveni said that there was growing concern among Ramaphosa's cabinet around an increase in cases of COVID-19 related to uh, uh, certain provinces and also an increase in, in deaths uh, with an address colloquially known as the family meeting expected shortly. I hate the name family meeting, Raymond, because at family meetings we all get to talk and and question the head of the household. We can never do that with the president. I really wish he would open these up to journalists. But what can we learn from the lockdown so far so that we don't repeat some of those mistakes and inflict further pain on uh, the economy?
3: Michael, I think it's important that we now say to ourselves, 15 months down the track, we should have a much better and good idea of what works and what doesn't work, both on the health front and on on the economic front. So, I mean, there there are a number of things we need to do. We need an update from the president on where we are with the whole vacc, you know, with the whole vaccination rollout. What can be done to expedite it? I mean, we we talk about our personal experiences, which are often very really, very really positive, but the fact remains, we're perhaps about one percent now of the population that has been vaccinated. So, there's still quite a way to go. We need to manage expectations. I think there's a lot of uncertainty as to might what might be decided about the third wave and coming back to the to the economic recovery. uh, Yes, we are very positive about it. As we said earlier, I just refer once again to the Reserve Bank document. They take the view. Yes, there is a strong recovery, but it is vulnerable if you get the vaccination and third wave wrong, it's vulnerable. So they've made that point and that there we need reassurance from the president, bearing in mind also, Michael, that the social relief, those social relief measures and the safety nets are more or less expired now. So we've got to now be very selective about what we do in terms of a lockdown, if there is to be any. I think we must look at the, at the large gatherings, those that are have the highest propensity to effect and we must not damage our economy in the way we did in the past so I think we've got to nuance uh, or at least what we expect from the president is that he will nuance the strategy to deal with the third wave in the way Mm. that will capitalize on the lessons we've learnt and in the meantime we must build build all hospital capacity we can to deal with what might be a worst case scenario, we don't know, although we've had warnings, but the important point is, let's deal with the third wave in such a way that we've learned the lessons of how to minimise mm. the cost to the economy mm. of whatever lockdowns may follow, and do not go from the frying pan into the fire.
0: And Isa, that certainly came through in uh, SPA's results this week, the impact of the, uh, the ban on uh, liquor sales in particular, Uh, Great results in Europe, uh, not so good in South Africa because of that. And we see the president referring to NEDLAC, the liquor industry's concerns about a a possible ban on alcohol sales again. What would you like uh, the president to consider when uh, he discusses uh, the outlook with us uh, in his next family meeting to ensure that we minimize the impact on lives and livelihoods?
2: I think uh, two lessons from the beginning of the pandemic to now. The first one is health policy decisions are now necessarily becoming economic policy decisions because economic policy responds to the outcomes of the health policy decisions. And what we have learned over the last 12 months or so is that hard lockdowns have damaged economies the world over. We also saw it in our, in our own economy second quarter of last year. Every other sector was impacted except for agriculture. But there were some lessons that were taken by government. If we consider the second wave, which ran from November to February of this year, only two industries or two sectors were impacted trade and, and transport. All other sectors were cushioned, which means there were some lessons that were taken. The second portion or the second lesson that we learned is uh, out of India, there are certain things that if you do, you are actually increasing the risk of, of infections or the third wave. Political gatherings, um, we now have a, an election that, that was declared for October. Secondly, religious gatherings, we just coming out of Easter, where the restrictions have been reduced, infections are now increasing, which, which means we are now seeing the results of those religious uh, gatherings. But the third one is a new variant that was discovered in India is now also in South Africa. So the conditions are now present locally for an India-type increase in infections into the third wave. And we are seeing mm. infections increase. So those are the, mm. some, some of the factors which the president and his team has to look around and say, what can we do to limit transmission going forward? And I would, I would mm. expect earlier curfews to be implemented, a reduction in the number of people at gatherings, as a proactive step, because if we are reactive, we are going to also mean it's also going to mean that our economic policy response to it is going to be reactive and we don't have the fiscal space to continue to support households uh, or, or even companies mm. and uh, which is going to actually damage the economy if it unfolds that way
0: mm. you, you remind me of those pictures outside the courthouse uh, for, for jacob zuma's corruption trial uh, not uh, many masks in sight uh, very limited uh, in fact, non-existent social distancing, uh, and that uh, certainly ticks all the boxes for a super spreader event. Uh, Warwick, uh, w- what are your thoughts and, uh, and potential concerns as uh, we await the next presidential uh, address on the way forward as we head into winter? Uh, winter is a high-risk period. We, we, we gather indoors, and that is known to uh, spread the virus uh, in particular. Uh, what would you like the president to consider when it comes to uh, minimising the impacts on lives and livelihoods?
1: look i think the one thing that we really saw with um, both lockdowns and subsequent waves michael is that this uh, whole pandemic has heightened inequality so from my point of view i am adamant that the impact on the poor needs to be minimized as much as possible um and so and so i'm definitely against the lack of alcohol bans um from the point of view that these are often low-paying jobs that uh, depend on, on uh, the continued sale of, of, of alcohol so that would be restaurant waiters bottle store workers, alcohol industry workers and so on I mean they're already living uh, by the skin of their teeth you know they don't need any more pressure and we don't need the social dislocations that would fall out from it I mean from an economic point of view I agree with Isaiah uh, that, is, uh, that we, we really need to focus one on super spreader events uh, and and Two, basically, we just need to, to, to intervene where absolutely necessary. So, for example, you know, something like curfews, I think, is pretty constructive. It's low impact um, in terms of interfering with people's lives and high impact in terms of uh, how it uh, promotes a mm. health outcome. And I think we generally we need, we, we, we've, this is now our third go, we need to improve our cost benefit trade offs.
0: Uh, and then lastly raymond uh, the the other big story this week has been in the energy space. And there have been lots of developments. Uh, it's been a bad week for big oil globally. Lots of activist investors, uh, you know, getting one over big oil's lack of um, climate change response. Here, we were talking this week about our upstream uh, um, oil and gas bill that we're waiting to see in, in Parliament uh, to exploit the Lapid uh, and uh, and Brilpudder prospects off our coastline. And, and you've got Energy Minister Gwede Mantas, uh, sticking firm to uh, his assertion that we shouldn't increase self-generation from 10 megawatts to 50 megawatts. Many in industry, big energy-intensive users really questioning the logic behind that uh, and, and also that supposed survey of 10,000 people, which is really a one-liner from a website. So we're great uh, research that by Chris Yelland. What do you make of it all in a week where we've also seen Eskom reduce its uh, debt burden by 80 billion rand?
3: Well, Michael, I think the underlying message, of course, that comes through all our discussions whether it's the credit rating agencies or all the government spokespeople or whoever it is, if you can't keep the lights on, then you have a problem with all uh, all the other things that you've promised. So we obviously have a, a vested interest in getting that right and getting ESCOM right. And there are some, some positive signs, but as you rightly say, uh, there was this announcement by the minister, which uh, caused great consternation. Now, in fairness to the minister, let me say that subsequent to his statement in Parliament, he spoke at, at the Mineral Council's AGM and said, "Well, I'm open to further representation. So, mm-hmm. I think that's, that that you know, that's a positive, and we must record it as such. But I just want to say that throughout these discussions, and this is just one example, I'm asked our policy uncertainty index why is it always in in negative territory and I say that it is precisely this kind of event this kind of announcement that keeps it there Mm. and people say well until we have certainty until we have policy certainty and until government stays on message that's the bottom line when you said you're going to act in a certain way, or you've created that expectation, in this case, it was the president, it was Cusato, it was ESCOM, it was organized business, all arrived at a consensus that the number was to be 50 megawatts. Then suddenly a spoke is put into the wheel. And I think even though it's going to be reviewed, Once again, there's uncertainty until you know what the outcome of that review is. So I'm just making the point, it's precisely this kind of issue we need to get right to be able to give a much firmer policy direction. And by reducing policy uncertainty, you maximize those fundamentals you want to get in place to get us that job-rich growth in the years ahead, Mm -hmm. so that we can capitalize on the good economic news of this year and translate it into longer-term higher growth so i think it's very important that this message comes through that we need to stay on message when we make a commitment
0: Mm. because
3: that has been a source of a great deal of uncertainty and explains a lot of why our economic performance is not what it ought to be and what it should be in in the years ahead i'm hoping that in this sensitive area of energy we'll stay on message
0: else that snowball that we're seeing in terms of economic growth will uh, melt into the South African uh, summer as uh, the year ends. Uh, Raymond Parsons of uh, Northwest University Business School, Warwick Lucas, Chief Investment Officer at uh, Galileo Asset Managers, and uh, Isaac Klunger, Chief Economist at Alexander Forbes, with the Week in Perspective.